Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, driving over this morning, I was talking with Karen in the car and saying, you know what, I'll bet first service is a little bit more full than second service today because, I don't know, there's like an Indiana thing going on today, <laughs> something like that, right about noon. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Well, it's uh, week three of our 10-year anniversary celebration month, and I've loved that we're taking a whole month with this. Um, I love that we're taking a month just to talk about what God has done. Thank you, Cody and Katie. Uh, I love that we're singing some of the favorite songs from our past. It's just really special. Personally, I love that I get to preach five of uh, some of my favorite uh, sermons and narrative sermons from the past. Um, That includes two Sundays ago. We were in Exodus 19 where um, God's people, after having been marvelously and miraculously brought out of centuries of slavery, uh, meet with God at Sinai. And it's there that God invites them to be a treasured possession, to be a people unlike any other people uh, for him to the world. And in it all, we saw that God was behind it all. Uh, God was behind it all. And then Joshua chapter 3, this is what God has done. He is in front of it all last Sunday, uh, some 40 years after Exodus 19, and God's people will set their feet for the first time on the promised land on the uh, west side of the Jordan River, and then the Jordan comes back and closes off, and it's like, this is the place that I have for you. And uh, God has shown himself wonderfully. He's called them out. He's brought them out. He's brought them to. He's invited them into, and now he's placed them in. And uh, then at the end of the book of Joshua... Uh, Joshua gathers all the tribes of Israel together, and it's really interesting at the end of Joshua. There they are in Shechem, and he brings them all together, and he asks for a renewed commitment from his people in light of what's ahead. Um, he, He says, will you fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, putting away all false gods? Choose this day whom you will serve. And all God's people answered that it is the Lord our God who brought us out and it is the Lord who drove out before us and we will serve the Lord for he is our God. It's really a cool time. But it's also interesting right at the end of Joshua because Joshua right when they say that pushes back on him and he comes back and he kind of says, are you sure? Are you really sure about your commitment? And um, they say, yes, we are sure. And then it's interesting, you turn the pages in your Bible uh, over and you come to the book of Judges. And what is the book of Judges about? It is about a couple centuries of time to where God's people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And uh, outside of a few few positive moments, uh, Othniel, uh, there's a time with Deborah, uh, Ruth is kind of included in that period of time, God's people and especially God's leaders in that it really is what it's highlighting. They are not serving the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. Uh, they are not putting away false gods. And uh, they are in the promised land, but God's people are not living like they are supposed to be living. Um, they are not living unlike. They are not living with the Lord. They look more like they're living without the Lord. And uh, God has given them a place, but uh, their presence in the world is not what it should be. Well, then you enter the pages of 1 Samuel. Uh, by the way, 1 Samuel, following Easter, we are going to enter the pages of 1 Samuel. We're going to study 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 15 through the summer. 
and uh, in that period of time. Today we're in 1 Samuel 17. Would you open your Bibles there? Uh, we're big about the Bible around here, so open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. That's page 239 if you're using one of the books behind the chairs there. Uh, this is what God has done. He is in it all. We've seen that God is behind it all. He's in front of it all. And God is also here in this text today, I think especially, he is in it all. Now, you likely look at uh, 1 Samuel 17 and you see above verse 1 there, there's likely a heading that says David and Goliath. And uh, right when you see that, uh, you may be thinking, oh, surely he's going to bring in UMBC versus Virginia <laughs> in this one, right? Uh, actually, Friday night I couldn't sleep. I got up, I thought, you know what? I am going to watch a boring game and it'll help put me to sleep. So I look, number 16 versus number one. This is gonna be a crush out, I'll go to sleep. It was awesome. <laughs> Needless to say, did not fall asleep uh, in that. Uh, I got to watch some sports history. Uh, it was really cool. Hey, listen, I want for you to know, this is not that kind of sermon today. Uh, David and Goliath so often is kind of taken and, and made into this that like, uh, 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 this is a text that says that you can conquer all the Goliaths in your life. Listen, I want to tell you, going that route, parents, I, I, I hope you don't do that with your kids and, and with our children's, but I hope you don't do that with our kids. Listen, this is not about us. This is about God. And what God does in it. And I'm going to be talking about a little bit of this, especially where narrative accounts of Scripture. And, and know this, narratives are not promises. Narratives are not promises. Just because God did something then doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to do that now. Okay? Um, in fact, when we get to the story, well, I'll get there. I'm ahead of myself. I'm so excited about this. Let me say it this way. God chose to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. But God has also chosen not to necessarily save all his people from fiery situations. Okay? In fact, just ask Stephen in the book of Acts. Uh, yes, God chose to heal the blind man. But that account does not teach that God will heal you or everybody from their health situation. I mean, just ask the others who were standing around where the blind man was who had a health problem. By the way, just ask Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Yes, God chose to save Daniel from the decree of death to the lions, but that account does not mean that God will save you and me from sinful decisions of others. Uh, again, ask Stephen, and again, just ask Jesus to the cross. Um, listen, a lot of bad theology comes out of wrongly applied biblical narrative. And we want to take it to places where it really shouldn't go. So just because God did it there isn't saying he promises to do it here. It's saying what God did there, okay? And it tells us what God did at a particular point in redemptive history. And um, by the way, I'll just add that people in Scripture, like let's go Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel and David and etc., the humans are not the heroes. God is the hero. Okay? The humans are not the heroes. God is the hero. Yet we can learn so much from the humans in God's work with them, both from their uh, faithfulness or their unfaithfulness, as we will see even today with that. 
God is the hero in every biblical narrative. So here we are in 1 Samuel 17. Let me give you a little bit of context uh, with this. God has shown himself big. He has shown himself big time after time. He's promised to make uh, the Israelites a great people, and he has. He's promised to be behind them and in front of them and alongside them, and he has. He's promised to bring them into a great land for them to be their sending base place, and he has. Uh, uh, Note, he never promised that it would be easy, and it hasn't. Uh, And with all that God has done, we find God's people here in the promised land, in the promised sending base place, and frankly, we find them living at this season of time, as we'll be seeing here after Easter and through the summer, they're, they're, they're really not living like they got their act together with the Lord. Um, Samuel, Saul are key characters uh, through it all. But in it all, uh, God shows himself big through a little dude in 1 Samuel 17. And um, a little dude that's been living life like the Lord is big. And know this, the Goliath event is not the only event in David's life to date, and we will see that in the text. Life is linear. Life moves along. Uh, We think of it as momentary things. So here what we're going to do, we're going to stand back, we're going to watch God show himself in it all. By the way, teens, today is your text. Today's your text because I want to encourage you. You want to look what it looks like to be a teenager who sees a big God? This is your text because he was a teenager at this stage of the game. So let's pick it up, verses 1 through 3, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sukkah, uh, uh, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkah and Ezekah in Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain uh, on the one side, and the Israel uh, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with all the valley in between them. Uh, these first three verses are setting up the scene. Uh, it's narrative. You're supposed to see the scene. You're supposed to imagine the scene, ha- scene have a feel for what's going on. Uh, the two sides are gathered for war. Okay, let's bring up a map here. And you can see on the map, this is a, one of the maps I've used in the last time. So it's about 330 years earlier-ish. Uh, the Israelites have come up from the east side of the Jordan. They've crossed over about where that arrow points to at that point in time. Then the Philistines, they've been around since Abraham's time. In fact, uh, uh, Exodus 23, or uh, uh, yeah, Exodus 23, 31 mentions that they are there in the promised land area. First Samuel 4 and 5 tells of the Philistines capturing the ark. We'll be there in April with that. First Samuel 14, Jonathan, just right before uh, all of this in First Samuel 17, Jonathan, one of King Saul's sons, uh, is, is with his armor bearer, goes to battle against a Philistine garrison. And so in this, I just know, know this, that, that there has been this, uh, they don't like each other, all right? There's been this warring that's been going on, and uh, each of these now are encamped on the sides of the valley. So you have the Philistines on one side, you have the Israelites on the other side. Karen and I years ago were in this area, and it really is, it's just kind of a flat plain area, and then the hills kind of uh, raise up, and so they're on each side. Let's pick up in verse 4. 
And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. No, he's not a postman, something different. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs. I mean, not like leather, like bronze on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed uh, 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Now, verses 1 through 3 set the geography. Verse 4 through 7 here is setting the scene of this Goliath dude on it. And uh, it's really interesting. Uh, both are on these two sides. And so here you have this big dude, and, and the Philistine army is on one mountain. The Israelite is on the other army. Uh, the Philistines send out their champion, Goliath of Gath. I mean, is that not like awesome? And here in it, the whole setting is like a WWF like fight scene that's going on. Uh, let's get ready to I mean, they even played that at that day uh, uh, with it. And so this is what's going on. The text notes Goliath's height in all of this. Uh, so how big is Goliath? Okay, theologically, I'll use this term, ginormous. Okay, he's ginormous. Now, uh, with the whole talk about it, it's interesting. So how big is Goliath? Um, just cut to the chase of it. Some say he was 6'9", some say that he was 7'9", 8'9", or 9'9". Uh, I actually think it's the latter, more towards the latter. Two reasons for that. One, the language that's used in the original text uh, moves towards uh, something in the effect of 9 foot 9 inches tall. And secondly, just look at the reality of what's noted about him. And specifically, three things are noted about him. His coat, his spear, and I'm calling the fear. His coat, his coat is 121 pounds. Now, I understand military carries a lot of weight around, and oftentimes it'll be towards, up towards that amount of weight on, uh, but that's just part of what's going on. His coat is 121 pounds. The head on the spear, just the head of the spear, is 14 and a half pounds. Just the head on the spear with it. That doesn't even include the shaft of the spear. I'm telling you, to throw something that big requires a behemoth. Okay? I can't do it. Can't do it. And uh, you could neither with that. Uh, and then the fear. Listen, here's one dude that's coming out time and time again, and this one dude is intimidating an entire army. Now, the one dude likely has other dudes behind him, Long on this, the way this is laid out, but I'm just going to tell you, I, I, listen, I remember years and decades ago, we had a seven-foot friend who played basketball at Kansas, and we went to our church together, and he was saying it was so hard living in an abnormally-sized world. Uh, as a set, we were the abnormal ones he was referencing. And, and in that, just with a seven-foot-tall guy with that, it, it's just like, man, I got to tell you, the dude's big, but I, I also have to tell you, I don't think he would have caused a whole army to quake. Seriously. Um, in that. And when you look at the fear of what's going on, um, this guy's a monster. Absolute monster. And it is a warrior that is bringing this unimaginable fear. By the way, 
Um, when we go through the book, uh, up through the first 15 chapters of Samuel with Samuel and Saul, you will see part of what's leading into this whole text. Everybody is focused on man. Everybody is focused on the nations and what makes a strong-looking nation. And so here this fits perfectly with the whole movement of 1 Samuel. So here Big Fear steps forward. He stands big. He shouts. Uh, Let me read at verse 8. Verse 8. So here Goliath of Gath. I love that stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you, I mean, can you imagine his voice? By the way, it's not wimpy like mine. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. By the way, when we go through the chapter, Saul was the tallest dude, above head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. The average Israelite man in that time was 5'4". Yeah, Pastor Cody is our local Israelite. Okay, and uh, they they were that size. Verse, (laughs) I hope I don't get in trouble for that. Verse nine, if if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. How interesting, he mocks, he shouts. You are small, you are weak, I am bigger than you. By the way, if I can say practically, fear does that. Fear does that. And frankly, what, everything he's saying is true. Everything that he is saying is true. He is big and they are small in comparison. Um, verse 11. When Saul, who was a big dude in Israel... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. One of the wonderful things about Scripture, Scripture doesn't just go into stories telling about all the circumstances. Ultimately, Scripture is about revealing God, but Scripture is also about revealing the reality of what's going on in the heart of people. And here, this is a verse that draws out what's going on in their thinking. You know, the heart, biblically, the heart is referencing. Nowadays, we'd talk about it in our thinking What's going on in their thing? They're dismayed. They're greatly afraid. God's people are dismayed and greatly afraid. They're discouraged and, and, and literally, and we can understand they're afraid of what's happening here. And uh, that's where their thinking is at. Terrified. They're shaken up big. So this fear steps forward. It stands big. It shouts big. It shakes up. And watch this. It sticks around. Verse 12. Now David was the son of Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. Verse 13, the three eldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. Got the picture? So the three oldest sons uh, followed, uh, were in the battle. The names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, uh, the firstborn. The next was Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest By the way, for all of us, youngest kin, go David, right? I'm telling you, the youngest of three brothers, I love this boy. Um, Represent, David, represent. 
Uh, David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. They were in the battle, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Beth- at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. Now, understand what was going on in that day when they were fighting a war. This was in Israel. The, the people, God's people were there in this territory, and yet they were conquering the, over the promised land. And, and in this, it, did, it wasn't like they had a barracks with a cafeteria that would go around. So literally, they they would be out in war, and so family members, the younger family members who were not in the war, would be bringing food from home to their own uh, kin, and so that's what David is doing here. That's what younger ones have to do, right? Not that I'm bitter about it, but that's what we do, and, uh, and uh, so that's what's taking place in there, and David's going back and forth from the thing. He's over time. Uh, verse 16, it talks about for how many days? 40 days. 40 days, that, that's like over a month. That, that's like a lot. For 40 days now, this dude, Goliath of Gath, comes forward, takes a stand. How often, by the way, each day? In the morning and the, and the evening. Comes out in the morning, and likely with what that happens, he comes out, and there's likely the, the, the military behind him is kind of on the one side, and as we'll see here in this, they, they both kind of come out, and then Goliath steps out from among them and comes out, and he makes his oh, WWF statement, and he's like, come on, come on, and Israel's like, you know, in it, and, and so morning and evening, listen, it's shame, morning and shame in the evening. And fear in the morning, and fear in the evening. And after 40 days, you just have to get to the point where you're like, can we just go home? Can we just quit this? Because this is like not a good deal with what's all happening. And it sticks around. By the way, everyone understands fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of being over your head, fear of being embarrassed, fear of death, fear of sleep, fear of being found out, fear of your looks, fear of sickness, fear of cancer, fear of elevators. I don't know who would have that. There's a whole story about that for me. Fear of public speaking, fear of not getting good grades, fear of not paying bills, fear of being wrong. Fear of being alone, fear of politics, fear of clowns, fear of telling your own story up in front of people, fear of pastoring a church that feels beyond your skill set, fear of fear. Listen, friends, life with the Lord is not absence of fear. When you look in Scripture, and especially if you go into Colossians and you dig that out, the, the, the point is when it says do not fear, the point is never experience fear. The point is fear is not to conquer over. The reality is, is we do experience fear in life. The issue is what comes out of that. We don't muscle through it on our own. Uh, that's what they're trying to do and doing a really poor job of it. But ultimately, it's about seeing God in our fear because all of life is about the Lord. Uh, might I say it this way, coming off of our last series with the statements on the wall, the worship walk and the work, uh, it's a doxology thing that comes in, that is an abiding thing, and out of the overflow of the abiding thing, built out of the doxology thing, comes the battling fear in life thing with what takes place. If life with God was meant to be easy and comfortable and simple, 
we would have no need to be strong and courageous. Why in Joshua 1 and why in Joshua 24 at the end of the book, why is it strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong and courageous when God has already promised to be with? Because life is not easy, because life is not comfortable, because life is not simple. In fact, the Lord uses fearful situations for his glory and for our growth. So how are God's people supposed to view and do life when life steps forward big and it stands big and it shouts big and it shakes up big and it sticks around big? Well, we're, we're about to see it. And actually what's so cool about in the book here, where I'm going to be looking to call the series coming up, Life With, Life Without, you see contrast all through the book of 1 Samuel. You see a Hannah and then you see an Eli. You see a Samuel and then you see the sons of Eli. You see a Saul, but then you see a, just this contrast of going on. And we have it here. So what it looks like when God's people do not see God in it all. What it looks like when God's people do not see God in all. Let's pick up verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, a dad said to son, they're, not, they're away from the battle. Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers, to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. <laughs> I... I think, I think dad's saying, hey, love my boys. Uh, be an encouragement to my boys. Uh, see if your brothers are well and, and bring some token from them. Uh, verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting. I actually have fighting in my Bible. I have it with quotes around it. Like, where's the fighting? There is no fighting. Uh, they're fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early uh, in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. I'm telling you, that already tells you something about his character or responsibility. And took the provisions and went, and as Jesse had commanded him, as his dad had commanded him. And he came to the campment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper, the baggage, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And this is so little brother. <laughs> Not only do you want to be in on the action, right? The older brothers are in on the action. You want to know what it's like because you've got to be thinking that action's better than the action that I'm doing like with the sheep. And I want to see what's really going on with it. And so he runs into this thing, plus to see his brothers. And he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Verse 23, as he talked with them, behold. That means, oh, as you're reading, behold. Like, grab your ears, put your minds to what's about to take place. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. That last little statement there is really, really important in the movement of the whole text of the, of the story that's being told, this true story being told of what's going on here. David heard him, verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, and were much afraid, parentheses, and David was taking all this in. Verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Note, the Israelite army is, about, uh, is all about talking about their fear. They are talking about it. But when it comes down to like, what are they going to do about it? 
And where is God in it? Might I note this, let's say it this way. God's people are talking about fear, but God's people are not connecting God into the fear. Like, honestly, in their conversation, God is absent. And that is important to understand on why they are acting like they are. Because God in their mind is absent because he is, mind in their, he is he's absent in their conversation. No remembering of what God has done. No remembering of what God has said. By the way, God had promised victory all in the decades before. No fighting fear with biblical thinking. No fighting fear with the quoting of scripture that they would have had and known about. No speaking of God, none. No big God, in fact, no God or life with God that you can see at all. Not from the king, not from the commanders, not from the army ranks. It is life without God. God's people without God. That's what it looks like when you do not have a big view of God. Now a little dude of God with a big view of God steps up. Go little dude. Verse 26. David hearing them, seeing what's going on. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Listen, David is just scoping this whole thing out. This is a little brother coming in and annoying the living fire out of the older brothers. Been there, done that. Maybe not in a good way like David is. (laughs) But David scopes out what's going on with the adults in the room. With God's people. And he really asked two questions. First, the question is about victory. What shall be done for the one who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach? Uh, By the way, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is not a prosperity gospel thing. Like, what am I going to get if I do what God wants me to do? Uh, That's not what's going on here. Um, I'm just going to move on because I just don't have the time to develop that out. I think David is just restating in front of them victory. Hey, if victory actually happens... What comes out of that? And secondly, he asks, what's up with the fear? Verse 26, who is this Philistine and what is he doing defying the armies of the living God? I'm telling you, friends, this is thinking that where God is a big God in the now. He's questioning the validity of the fear being experienced. He is not denying the fear. Okay, he is not denying the fear reality, but he is bringing a question. He is bringing a question of validity of the fear. Okay, I see the fear. Okay, but I have a question about the fear. Is it valid? And then he's also bringing the Lord into that fear-filled situation. He's sizing up the fear with God. 
He's not denying the fear. He's seeing the fear for what it is. And then he's going, okay, pause. Pause with the fear for just a moment here. Now I need to take a step right over here. And I need to like compare that whole fear thing and what I'm thinking about and what I'm seeing right now. And I need to consider God in this right now. And that's what he's doing. He's connecting this. We have a fear situation and we have a big God. And this is my fear, but this is my God. Both are real, so what do I do? Verse 28. Now, Eliab, his elder brother, absolutely loved what his younger brother had to say. No, it doesn't say that. That never happened very often. By the way, in defense of you older siblings, us younger siblings, man, we can be annoying, can't we? You're being very gracious. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to them, to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? <laughs> like, to bring you food, man. Um, and with whom have you left the, those few sheep in the wilderness? By the way, that's smack talk. Little brother, just go back, take care of the stupid little sheep. Oh, by the way, why does the text earlier tell us that David left them in someone's care? Because it's knowing where this is going. It's helping us understand. David already took care of that, big bro. I got that one covered. And he also goes on, I know your presumption, really, and the evil of your heart, really, for you have come down to see the battle. And that is true. And David said, what have I done now? <laughs> Most of those laughing are younger siblings. <laughs> I so remember that. Uh, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him to another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. By the way, expect opposition when thinking biblically. Seriously on that. And I'll just, it's sad to say this, but especially sometimes with God's people. Um, man, trying to figure out what is foolish and what is faith can be a real challenge. And so it's not questioning someone's comments, but man, it's hard, isn't it? Verse 33, or 30, yeah, 33, 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. By the way, Saul is the king. All right? Isn't that interesting? And so Saul sends for David, verse 32. And David said to Saul, man, I'd be shaking in my boots. I'm here I am before the king. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul's a big dude. Saul's probably like 6'2", 6'4", 6'6", kind of in that territory, head and shoulders above every other average size Israelite archaeology digging shows us that they're about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five was the average height of an Israelite male back in that time. Saul is a head and shoulders above everyone else. He's looking up at him, telling him, as he's, I'll go and I'll fight. Can you just imagine what's going on in Saul's head? But I will tell you, David drives the stake in the ground with his thinking before the king. In verse 33, by the way, I don't think David was saying it smart mouth either. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. And I would agree. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. By the way, more opposition. You can't win this. This makes no sense. 
You're thinking wrong. You do not have the means. By the way, what David does next is huge. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Dude, are you kidding me? Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. By the way, plural, do you see that? Not lion and bear, but in the Hebrew it's plural. I've struck down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. (laughs) I wonder what the inflection was right in that last (laughs) little statement there. David's thinking here, he's driving his words and his actions He's doing the biblical math in this whole thing. Goliath of Gath, huge. My God and what he has said and who he is. And he connects it all together. By the way, Asaph in Psalm 78 verse 70 says, the Lord chose David his servant took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought David to be the shepherd of his people, Israel. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Hey, life as a farm kid matters. What happens on the farm matters. You know, a lot of times we just think all that little stuff is irrelevant. But it matters. It carries over. It continues on. Life is linear. Life is linear. David acts out of thinking based upon what he has seen and what he knows of God. Again, this is not positive thinking, friends. This is faith built out of relationship with the Lord and experience over time. David is connecting the Lord in it. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. Can you imagine putting on a six, four foot guy's armor on a five, five foot body? So David put them off. I love the way the English version has that. He put them off. Then he said, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. By the way, we lose time in this. If you walk through this, here he is out of the battle and then in that, they, Saul hears about that. How long did that take for Saul to hear? I don't know, maybe it was a short time, maybe it was a couple days and then he meets with Saul. How long is that? I don't quite know. The text isn't really all bound into that. That's really not the important part of the whole text but I just say, I'm saying that all this is not happening in like two hours. 
Okay, this is likely over some time of, very likely over some time of, of a few days, possibly. And I just want to say the wisdom of this young man is stunning. No, 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 no. Let me restate that. The work of God in this young man is stunning. Because that's what the hero, that's what the reality of the whole story is about. And just imagine if David fought Goliath in all the armor and David wins. Where would the glory likely go? It would likely go to David and, we are so goofball as humans, and it would likely go to the, wor- the armor would be worshipped. Somewhere in people would be out there bowing down to it. But imagine David goes to fight it without any of that. And who's set to get the glory? Well, David could be set to get the glory. But I will just say this, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my ways are not your ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And I'm going to tell you, friends, I think it's a bad idea to set a teenager out against Goliath of Gath. We think we have the answers. You know, it's super tempting to be that with life. We just kind of construct it, we calculate it, we connive it. Do it this way, do it that way. Man, we get so proud. So God kind of comes along and crushes our calculations. Brings us back to reality. Kind of get kicked around in life a bit. And we really realize we aren't so self-awesome. Super tempting to be that way with life. It's also super tempting to be that way with leadership. This is how you lead or don't lead. This is how you grow. This is how you structure a business. This is how you structure a church. I'm really wrestling with all that right now even here, with the growth we've had? What even really should be my role? What do I do? What do I not do? What do I speak into? What don't I speak into? Super tempting to be that with the Lord. I mean, the infamous, uh, this is what I believe. Actually, it really doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't really even matter what you believe. It matters what God is and what God knows above himself and what God has revealed about himself. That's what matters. I don't think sending out a teenager with a couple stones is a good idea. I don't think anybody in here would think that's a good idea. But God's about to show himself big. So watch this shepherd boy go to war. By the way, I've got in my notes, I'm going to make mention of it, single men interested in finding a woman. Godly women want a guy like this that has been living faithfully as a shepherd boy when he goes to war with life. You don't become a godly man when. You become a godly man over time. And am I right, ladies? I don't know what's going on. That's all right. Um, am I right? You know, they're, uh, so guys, the little things matter. How you live your single lives now matters. Oh, by the way, it's the same thing for women as well. By the way, it's the same for all of us. Am I doing okay? Doing all right? Just keep going. By the way, thank you, tech guys. (laughs) They do not like attention. 
Okay, I got to move it. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. Here it goes. Boom, 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 boom. And his shield bearer in front of Goliath of Gath. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he is but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He's good looking, but man, is the dude little. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? That's warrior talk, man. That is warrior talk. Uh, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? (laughs) And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. In other words, he said other stuff we're not going to put in here. The Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. What would I be doing right there, man? I'd be running. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin. That's right. Speak it, Ruth. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do you see what David is seeing in this? I don't care how big you are, how ugly you are. I don't care how awesome you are. I don't care about that. But I just know this. By the way, all of this, God has told them, they know for sure that God has told them that he would be with them and that he would be bring victory to them in the whole movement of this in the, in the promised land. And, and they have been told that. And here David is the only one who's bringing all of that to the table in it. And he's looking beyond the the circumstances and the situations. And the circumstances and situations are real here because his life is on the line right now. And in it, he is, his focus is in who God is and what God has said. And I don't care how big you are and I don't care how ugly you are and I don't care even what all these guys think because everyone behind me on my team thinks I'm going to die right now. But I am telling you, I come to you with God. Listen, we don't throw God around at people at things. I know this. God is not God has told them for sure in scripture that he will bring victory. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything you and I want victory and God is going to bring victory in. Okay, last week I mentioned about the Ark of the Covenant. We don't carry the Ark of the Covenant around like a tank and just shoot it at the things that we want. But David knows this one. God has declared it to be, verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. What a stud. And I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. The guts. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spirit for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand, you big ugly brute. (laughs) That's in there somewhere. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. This dude is hyped up, man. This is like a five-hour drink of faith, right? (laughs) David is seeing it right. And friends, when I preached on this a couple years ago, I stopped right there and I made the comment, the result is not the point. 
The result is not the point. The biggest learning out of this is what's happening up to the result. Of the thinking and the processing. The result is not the point. The process is. This is not a moral story to trust God and you will get all good things. That's not what this is saying. Because by the way, there were thousands in battle during the time of the decades of the uh, conquering the promised land where people who were faithfully trusting in the Lord died on the battlefield. But in this one time, God did it differently. And there is something to learn from it, not something to take and abuse it. All of life is spiritual. All of life is spiritual because God is in it all. There are no irrelevant moments of life. None. There is, no real, there is no life, then spiritual life. Spiritual life, then life. No, no, no. It's all spiritual life. Because, well, how he was raising the sheep as a farm kid mattered later on and stacked up. And what was going on with the... Did his brothers even know about the lions and the bears? Because I'm telling you, I would tell my brothers. I would totally tell my brothers. But I don't know in that. God was building... This was a man, a young man who was building along... the, And he's a teenager at this time. Crazy. All of life matters because God is at work in it all. Let's read the rest of the story, though, and finish. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sunk deep into his forehead. <laughs> And he fell in on his face to the ground. By the way, it's so interesting how scripture just provides the kinds of detail that we need to know on some things because this was a decisive strike. And he's falling on his face to the ground. By the way, when we go through 1 Samuel, you'll see there's a point in time where the ark is taken by the Philistines and their God, is, they take it and they put it with their God and the scriptures tell us that their God, their false God, falls on his face to the ground. And here is Goliath falling on his face to the ground. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Awesome. And the men of Israel. So here's the story. The big dude comes out, all the little dudes are scared. The little dude comes out, and all the big dudes run. It's so cool. When the Philistines saw the champions dead, they fled, verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp, and David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem. That's just an interesting reality. But he put his armor in his tent. Let's just step back and kind of wrap it up this way. This single event is part of a whole series of big events. In fact, let me bring him to the table. Genesis 12 and 15. Abraham, I brought you out of Ur. I will establish a great nation from you, and I will give you a land to possess. God was in it. 
Genesis 50, Joseph says to his brothers, do not fear for am I in the presence of God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was in it there. Exodus 3 and 4, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people and I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. God is doing something. God is in it. Exodus 19, there they are at Mount Sinai. I bore you on eagle's wings, brought you to myself. If you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a set apart nation. Listen, God is doing something in this. Joshua 1, Joshua, go over the Jordan, you and all the people into the land that I have given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Might I say, David is remembering all this. Joshua 4, and when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant, I'm worked up, came up from the midst of the Jordan last Sunday and set the soles of their priest's feet. They were lifted up on the dry promised ground promised land ground. The waters of the Jordan returned overflowing all of its banks and the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Remember from last Sunday? That's the exact same day as the Passover in Exodus. God is involved in the details of it all. And then here in 1 Samuel 17, all the men of Israel, they saw the man, they fled and were afraid. Listen, I'm telling you, friends, God from Abraham, from Genesis 12 and 15, all the way up to 1 Samuel 17, God has promised he was going to do something. He was going to do a work with these people. And little David Shepherd Boy says, for who is this, the Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He says this to Goliath. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that the earth may know that God is the God of Israel, for the battle is the Lord's. I want to tell you, you, that ties all the way back to Abraham and the God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. There is a story. God is moving things. It is not random. And it is the same for your life. You and I are not disconnected beings. God is at work, and God is wanting to do something through this church. God is wanting to do something through us as a people. God is wanting to do work through his people all around the west side of Indianapolis and beyond. And here God is showing himself. The promised land was not about a place for God's people to kick it back in spiritual comfort. The promised land was the place to be the sending base place to the world. And we see the Israelites stuck And God's like, one more time, one more time, I'm going to show myself great to you. And he does. And God is establishing his presence through his people in a place. More on that next Sunday. And God is growing his people. Oh my, what they all just saw. Hey, University of uh, Maryland, Boston County, taking on Virginia, that was an awesome game. I was excited at midnight, and I wanted to sleep. But I've got to tell you, that ain't nothing compared to this. That's just a game. It's that history. But I want to tell you, this is not a game. This is about a God of history. Okay? God is at work. Maybe you need to be reminded of that today. Because this story, 
is our story. This account is our account. This God is our God. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done. And we worship you. God, you are awesome. We started out with you are great. And you've shown yourself that here in this text. And so we behold you and we adore you and we magnify you and we lift your name up. And God, I pray that that would not just be in theory and even in mind for this present moment. God, even right now in the life of what's going on, Father, I just pray for your work in our lives that we would see you in it. And Father, maybe your choice is to end up being where our situations end up more like a Stephen situation of stone to death versus a conquering situation like we see here. You work in all kinds of ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. And so, God, we submit to how you want to have that happen. But, God, the thing that you are looking for us is that we would be a people that have a doxology view of you, that see you big and grand and marvelous. And we are a people that are engaged in your word and what you have said to tell us about who you are and what you are doing and what you want us to do. And, Father, I pray more David in us. God, you know I don't say that to worship David. I say that more of David's thinking in us, more of that process in us. You are our God and you are great and we worship you. Yes, we do. In Christ's name, amen.